0: You are listening to the FDNY Pro podcast featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY
1: Pro podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry, and today I'm speaking with Lieutenant Mike Campo, Ladder 45. How you doing, Mike?
2: Doing fine, Chief. Thanks for having me today. Right, we
1: appreciate you coming down. Can we start off? Could you give us a quick bio? And just... Uh...
2: I don't know if there's a word for quick, but I'll give you <laughs> one, Chief. Uh, right now, I'm proud to say I'm a 28-year veteran of the FDNY. I just celebrated my 28th year. I started off in an engine company, although a lot of guys don't believe that. I spent two years in 46 engine, and then I went over to a Tower Ladder 44 truck, I spent about 10 and a half years there. For six months after uh, 9-11, I was detailed with a bunch of lieutenants on the lieutenant's exam downtown, at 21 truck. So I got a taste of Midtown, and then I got promoted, and I've been up in the Washington Heights, Ladder 45, for the past 16 years.
1: Today we're going to talk about a job you had a few years back. Not your run-of-the-mill job, it was in a commercial building, we call them taxpayers. He wrote an article in the second issue of 2017, WNYF Magazine, 2 o'clock in the morning. Appeared to be an ordinary job, but as the story unfolds, it uh, was not a run-of-the-mill job. Maybe you could just go ahead, paint a picture, what you had, what the phone alarm came in as.
2: It was one of those typical Saturday nights. It was a little humid in early September. It came in for smoke in the area, actually, and we were responding across the bridge, into the Bronx because we're right on the line, and uh, my chauffeur was smart enough. He leaned over towards me and said, hey, I'm slowing down. The smoke's backing down the street. We didn't want to pass the address and also to size up the buildings on the ride in. You don't want to fly into the location when you start hitting the smoke. You know, one, there's safety issues. People on the street late at night, other automobiles are just passing a fire or, God forbid, running into one of the other
1: fire trucks. Upon arrival, tell us what you saw. Well, this is a weird box, Chief.
2: It, um, it's we call them borderline boxes. Sometimes, usually on borderline is where the first and second do companies come in together, maybe nose to nose. In this situation, the way we respond in, and we're sort of slowed down. So the first engine and truck. Could get in position before we just entered the block, so we parked down the end of the block, waiting for them to give a size up or see if they saw something coming in from their end of the building. Mm-hmm. What kind of street was it? A wide street, narrow street? Uh, very, it's a very narrow street, and it comes in at a weird corner. There's almost three streets that come in together with a little exit ramp off a bridge. So to fly in there, and you know, it, it hampers apparatus position, and you have just the obstacles of the street pattern.
1: Apparatus position is so important these type fires. How Did it go?
2: Well, uh, it's funny you say that because right from the start, in the FDNY, we like to follow in the same direction into the block. There are times where we have to come in a one way street opposite just due to double park cars or other adverse conditions. But in this situation, we let 68 engine come in first, and they actually try to nose in and maybe even jump the curb a little bit towards their hydrant. It exposed the rear uh, bed for stretching to the building, but it also allowed the trucks to really to get in position. The narrow block, although we teach in the FDNY, the rear mounts should really stick away from the building for a taxpayer this narrow narrow block 49 really had nowhere to go creates difficult and yeah yeah. So we had 45 came into the front. We got a little bit more of the taxpayer. But 49 stopping a little further back is able to put their aerial ladder up to the exposure four side of the building for roof access, a secondary yeah. means. So, yeah. um, you know, we didn't just, it's very important that we let the engine get in the block first, get their water source. If they were going to backstretch towards us, we didn't just want to block them in.
1: A lot of portable ladders, is that how you access them? Uh,
2: yes, and it's funny you mentioned that. One of our things, and one thing I stressed in this article, was I get very upset when I see guys go for that 20-foot straight ladder at a taxpayer fire. Well, it is Uh, light. (laughs) It's light. But uh, you know and I know through our years of experience up in the Bronx, it's a 20-foot ladder, and it's very hard if you have people coming out of buildings. It's hard to maneuver, especially even when we throw it to the front fire escape. Uh, We like to to throw our 24 to the taxpayer roof. Um, We also do a little trick that many departments follow or other truck companies. We have our halyard pre-tied to our 24, to the bed section. The halyard is tied to the bottom rung. And our OV can take that, place it up against the building, walk it up by the beams, and he'll have the rope exposed that he can raise it himself. Yeah. yeah. So you don't need two firefighters. Yeah,
1: it's maneuverable. One person and uh, gives you a lot of options. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So now we're on scene, apparatus position went well. You have a tower ladder in front. It's the middle of the night. What time did this come in at?
2: It was uh, somewhere between 2 and 4 o'clock in the morning, I remember that.
1: Yeah, that's a concern Mm -hmm. in these older buildings, usually generally sealed up well. Walk us through. How did it go from there?
2: Exactly what you're saying, Chief. You know, uh, with smoke down the street at that level, and it wasn't a black smoke. It was that brownish tan, which leads you to believe it's a structural Mm -hmm. element and that we don't have contents burning. Like if it was a mattress store, we'd... Probably have black smoke or something, but uh, being we had a short front to the taxpayer, I made contact with the first two truck. Uh, we weren't sure what store it was in. I asked them which one they wanted to work on, and we'd work on the other gates. I held the thermal imaging camera up to the gate. Sometimes we can pick up some you heat, had, uh,
1: get an idea which occupancy. Yeah, in. and
2: we picked up really nothing. So um, they actually took the building towards the foreside, side, and we took the taxpayer. To the two side they got in a little quicker and we actually had a little situation to be honest with you the American hockey puck which we always talk about cutting two thirds of the way up right yeah. one of them was sideways but there was also a box over it with another padlock. So we cut the padlock. Then we cut the hinges off the box to expose the lock because we couldn't get a saw near the padlock. So we were a little delayed. And we were looking at the cornice. And the chief came over to me and said, how are we doing? I'm like, we're doing all right. We just have a very strange padlock here. And we were working on it. And uh, we called the roof at that time. We saw the portable up. 49 was putting their aerial ladder up. And we. I just wanted a quick, I figured they had a curve cut or a triangular inspection hole. And I just thought we'd get a little read real fast if we had fire in the cockloft due to the heavy brown smoke. Yeah. And then when they didn't respond right away, but we heard the saws running, and it was difficult because you heard the roof saw running and the iron saw. And when he said they were having difficulty look, getting a look into the cockloft, that's when the chief said to me, "I don't like that." With the brown, heavy brown smoke, was getting worse out of the tin cornice, yeah. and he went with
1: the second alarm yeah. well, right uh, then. You, as you said, it came in the middle of the night. That's a concern. How long it's been going? A lot of these fires gained headway before we even arrive. And just for our listeners, also a second alarm in our department. Four additional engines, two ladder companies, and three battalion chiefs
2: added to the ticket. That's a great point. When we respond to these occupancies, you know, a size up. I've been a Bronx, Washington Heights, Upper Manhattan guy for my whole 28 years, and I've been to numerous taxpayer fires over that, those years. And we know that the grease ducks or any type of fast food that we have running through the cockloft, advanced fire on arrival, yeah. the dry cleaners, we all sure. get worried yeah. about the chemicals and things. So at that time of the morning, it's a little bit we're aggressive, but we're aggressively slow.
1: Yeah, a deliberate, more methodical approach is a good move at that point. So let's move forward. The roll-down gates are up. You have access to the front of the building. Were you able to get a look in the basements?
2: When I first pulled up, to talking with the captain of 49 Truck, I also glanced on the sidewalk, and we had no sidewalk diamond plate mm-hmm. that would had access to the basement. So when we went into our store, one of our first concerns always is the cockloft right away. And from a previous fire that I was at, we had a firefighter fatality there I learned a little trick that I like to do myself in storefronts, either uh, in an M.D. or a taxpayer Mm -hmm. fire. Uh, Our books talk about the first firefighter through the door with a hook will check the ceiling above. And after the fatal fire and we had a collapse, I try to have my irons firefighter get out of the path at the front door. And I like him to take the pike of the haligan and drive it through the floor. If I hear a ting and it's bouncing off, we might have terracotta, tile, Mm -hmm. or concrete. But if it goes through and it's a wood floor with linoleum, maybe I can get a read with the camera on it. I could put my hand over the hole, uh, get close with your flashlight and see if we have smoke coming out of that hole or how thick the floor is. It's just something that, as an officer, I can give that information
1: to the chief out in the street quickly. Yeah, no, it sounds like a great habit, and I mean, depending on spoke conditions, but either way, the opportunity to get an idea, especially if you don't have access to the basement, like you said, that's that's another main concern of everybody going into that building.
2: Right, and it gives me peace of mind as an officer. You know, you're in charge of your team, you're in charge of other members coming into this building. If I can get that size up, below. It just gives me a little bit more peace of mind how much time I have in there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tell me, You mentioned the thermal imaging camera. Can you talk about it? What type of smoke condition are you guys in? And was a the thermal imaging camera useful?
2: The thermal imaging camera is a great tool. However, we have to rely on some old firefighting tactics and skills. Particularly at this fire, we didn't pick up anything outside on the gates. And then when I came in, I raised it right away to the ceiling, trying to get a read. And uh, you know, you can't have it too far from your face. The smoke condition was moderate. I'm gonna say from waist level up, we had no visibility. And the firefighters needed to stand up because the ceilings in the taxpayer are usually eight, 10, 12 foot ceilings. So they needed to reach them with their hooks. We were smart too, that when we first arrived on scene, uh, one of the FDNY traits is to bring an eight foot or a 10 foot hook. One thing about the camera at the ceiling, in these old taxpayers, we do know that will have maybe a drop ceiling, maybe sheetrock, and then lath and plaster or tin way above it. Multiple layers. And the camera over the years has, uh, we have nothing, or if there's blown-in insulation there, we're not getting a read, so we just can't think, oh, the camera's
1: showing nothing. I still need a hole in that ceiling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tell me when you started having difficulties, when you had the idea that this is not going to be an ordinary job.
2: Well, I had said to the inside team, I'm not getting any read on the camera, but I still want to get a hole in this ceiling. And when I heard the firefighter say, "Okay," when he first threw his hook up into the ceiling, we heard two or three loud thuds. The drop ceiling came down and he threw the hook up and he said, boss, it's not going through. The sound to me sounded like an air duct. Mm-hmm. Maybe we were hitting the AC or a ventilation unit. So I said, let's move over a couple feet and mm-hmm. we'll try it again. Yeah. And he tried it. And like I said, we had two hooks. The can firefighter brought a hook in for the Irons firefighter. So we had both firefighters now trying. And I separated them. And both of them said that they were hitting something solid. So my next thought was, okay, think. There's a mezzanine in the front often yeah. at taxpayers. Yeah, sure. And although it was a smaller taxpayer, we often encounter a little mini office up there that where they count the money mm-hmm. or security. S- storage sometimes. So I decided, let's move further back in the store. And when we went back in about another 10 feet, we separated the members again, and we had the same thing. And that's when I knew something was wrong, And as a boss, I knew it had to go right to the incident commander, that it was a priority for his size up, for what's going on in the store. I didn't feel I could wait and go another 10, 15 feet back. We were probably mid-store, and encountering a problem like this, I knew somebody on the outside needed this information. Now, have you heard from your roof team at this point? After I notified the division, I called the roof, and they called back telling me that they were experiencing difficulty in the roof.
1: Getting the roof open. Did they give you any specifics? Any like maybe this and I know this might be after the fire, but what were they encountering?
2: They didn't give me any specifics. I heard one saw running, you know, we just said they were having difficulty on the roof. Later on
1: after the fire and they told us what the situation was. Everybody's yeah. eyes were yeah. wide open. Well I think in the article you mentioned they said you know, they did see intermittent sparks coming from the roof. They thought, Wow, well, maybe I'm on a beam i am over, but... Yes, they,
2: you know, typically when you're up on the roof cutting, you're going to get the sparks. We have 3x12 construction on a lot of these old buildings for roof choice. so you're going to hit some metal and your nails, so you're going to see that. We did stress that in uh, our critique the next day when we went there to drill, that how important when you get your triangular inspection hole to immediately relay that to the incident commander.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, So I'm going to fast forward about the operation. Yes, sir. We'll just go through that, and then we'll talk about how the steel plating was mounted, you know, what we would do next time in that type of thing. And now, was the fire in the cockloft at this one? Did it end up making it up there and... Where 49 Truck and 68 had, they had like a grease duck
2: fire in that kitchen mm-hmm. of a bodega slash supermarket slash diner. It was a jack-of-all-trade store. They had some minor extension into the loft, right. um, around the hood vent and this and that. And it was burning for a while in the store there. So it was more in the double uh, wall that separated the store. But very minor. But like when you hear we have minor extension in the cockloft, when you're in the opposite ba- uh, wall, you do want to get that
1: open. Absolutely. So as a truck company, yes, chief, we have extensions. It might be minor there, but not minor elsewhere. Yes, sir. We've seen pictures from NYF, I've seen, of the multiple layers of tin that were on the roof, which would it seem like it would be a very difficult cutting operation. So let's talk about what you guys found after the fire is knocked down. How was this steel plating? Where was it? And how was it mounted?
2: With the smoke still moderately heavy above our waist level, we were still trying to get other holes in the cockloft. We'd found the entranceway, uh, another security door inside the building that got us into the liquor area and mm-hmm. behind. So we forced that door, and the deputy incident commander at the scene decided to send the squad in and a battalion chief. When we relayed, we were having such difficulty getting into the ceiling. So the chief of the 17 battalion came in. I met verbally with him I let him know what we were hitting we still really couldn't see the thermal imaging camera really wasn't picking up stuff yet and then the squad boss also came up to me verbally and he said he'd go deep in the store mm-hmm. and work forward and I'd work backwards so that teamwork thing yeah. and we attempted to do it again the smoke began to lift a little bit now that the bulk of the fire was knocked down and through our flashlights we were starting to see some dark gray, rusty ceiling up above. And uh, when we hit it, now it sounded more like metal because we didn't have the saws running above right, us. and we could hear what's going on. And we better, could hear so. the hooks hitting the ceiling. And now that we had a visual, we could see that it wasn't an air handler, that it was actually steel plating lagged into the joist from below. Mm-hmm. And to support it, they screwed two by fours at the seams of the metal
1: to the joist. Hmm. And didn't they have a similar situation on the roof? Was it on both, on top and below the Yes, joist? that's why we called it double jeopardy. Yeah. Um,
2: we had just gotten the wall open where the extension was. We didn't really have anything. We were seeing the back of their studs between the um, taxpayers. But my uh, chauffeur was determined to get a hole and push this thing down. He had, had the bucket up and the sledgehammer was there. So he was banging down with the sledgehammer. And he only got a flap out of it. But he was able to get maybe an 8-by-8-inch eight eight flap yeah. through the ceiling because the metal was secured so well. But he informed us that they had four layers of tin plating in the tar. Now, you can see the roof was redone. It had four plates of tin, about three inches of tar, and then
1: plywood. Oh, wow. So, Mike, let's say there was an extensive cocklaw fire at this job, and you guys are having difficulty gaining access, heavy smoke condition. What are some other options? Is the Cockloft nozzle uh, an option early? Would you go that way?
2: I definitely think so, Chief. I think, you know, often we'll bring the A-frame in as a truck company into a taxpayer. You know, we bring it in all the time for the light ballast and this and that. We have the, brought them in for fires up into a mezzanine level. And this fire, after I saw the steel plate, and it was about 3 sixteenths. Uh, thick. So if you have four by eight sheets in the entire, we're adding a substantial dead load. Yeah. And if we have a good fire in there, and I was very happy that a chief came in because to me, I can talk face to face with him and he's very knowledgeable. Two heads are better than one. And it's nice to have a chief face to face and he's seeing your problems
1: you are encountering. Oh, sure. There are a lot of concerning things this fire. An old taxpayer fire that comes in in the middle of the night and it appears to be in a cock loft. Now, when you add to the the fact that it's delayed gaining access because of the steel plating and the fact that the steel plating adds a dead load to the structure, so there are a lot of red flags.
2: Right, and one thing about the steel plating, we know in our city that by law they're supposed to have a sign up on the building steel plating and it's supposed to tell us the location. When we sized up the building in the front, we had nothing on the front. Like most firefighters do through your career, you can look at the signage up front and see what type of occupancy is. Sure. Maybe every now and then they don't match, but if you see that Bodega supermarket, you know, they have a heavy fire load with stock, hardware store, you know, here I didn't see any signs up front, so we weren't aware that There was four layers of
1: tin in that tar up on the roof. That's an important point. These occupancies change ownership so often and signage you might not necessarily get it. Something if you find on building inspection we all know what to do. It's a mandatory sprinkler recommendation. It's a SIDS entry which is a critical incident dispatch system. system which basically gives us the opportunity to put some building information that we receive with the initial ticket. But we can't rely on that sort of stuff because, like we said, these change so often. doesn't mean it wasn't a check cash in place or something else at some other point in its life.
2: It, actually, this building used to front on two streets because it comes to a triangle. And uh, the first dude truck had told us that this used to be a motorcycle shop with a very expensive inventory. Mm-hmm. So they probably had it done back then, and nobody knew when it changed over. They split the stores in yeah. thirds. That it was redone. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that was relayed to me early in my career as an officer was, you're doing the work today for tomorrow's firefighters. And uh, if I could stress anything about sizing up a building for the future with our new lightweight construction we're seeing in taxpayers or any building, Mm -hmm. I always talked about pride in paper. And that was one of my big things, taking care of the members' vacations, their payroll, and pride and paper for putting in this
1: information into the system to help the members down the road. It's so crucial. We're all here for a short period of time. But uh, those SIDS entries, they live on. And like a building under renovation or under construction, you have a small window oftentimes to identify the materials being used. And, you know, it really is. You can't put enough emphasis on a SIDS card at exactly. that point. Exactly. Alright Mike, let's talk quickly about how we go about it. All right, we have extensive cocklaw fire. We have to get that ceiling down. Hook choice, does that come into play? I know you said we you responded in with eight or ten foot hooks. Before
2: we even talked about the type of hooks head, we've been noticing ourselves sometimes eight's a little short, ten's a little bit long. My own company We took a 10 footer and we were experimenting making it nine, nine and a half. Just cutting six, eight inches off of it. We were trying to take a little bit of a bounce out of it and stuff. And it's just like, it goes back to when the Halligan tool was designed. We were trying to find out the right size for us. A lot of our guys do like the New York roof hook. Because it's a little bit wider. It's a little bit more difficult to get it into the ceiling with the tin, trying to find a seam. If you're lucky enough, the butt end. It's a little difficult to spin it around in the taxpayer mm-hmm. store, but if you can get that chisel point through, it's also about tool maintenance. You know, those longer hooks we don't use were apartment fire private dwelling department and six foot hooks are always sharp clean ready to go and you know we got to keep those 10 footer eight footers very sharp points because they're higher ceilings and more difficult to penetrate but uh there's been times at taxpayer fires when we hear the saws operating above us and they stop and maybe we have to stop what we're doing and pull back a little bit because they're gonna be pushing the ceilings down. And in the taxpayer, we all know, the older buildings, they've all been renovated with the drop ceiling, mm-hmm. with the HVACs, with the BX cable, and they come down and it's like being in a fishing net. Yeah, in a full so, section, yeah, right.
1: yeah. How about the technique of pull, like pulling an old tin ceiling like we did, hitting it, trying to identify a seam, then working a seam or a light fixture? obvious places to start to pull a ceiling like this?
2: What we try to stress in the FDNY is, again, the first member through the door is going to try to step two or three feet to either side. He's going to try to identify how high the ceiling is. Normally we're seeing more drop ceilings with the acoustical tiles. I call that like firefighter soup. You pull that down and you're in a net when it comes down. Uh, one of the tricks that we do a little bit too is when you first get the suspended ceiling down you have all that track just hanging and sometimes the light fixtures come down and when a firefighter keeps pulling on those supports the tin just keeps bouncing back and forth and if you take your hook up to the guide wire, put it next to it and you try to twist it around the guide wire and you just use your body weight and come straight down, Mm -hmm. it usually snaps the guide wire out of the ceiling then the whole suspended ceiling bouncing. It takes less of an effort on the firefighter. You have more stamina, and it also prevents the whole ceiling from just bouncing and wasting time. Yeah, yeah, it's manpower intensive sometimes. Yes, sir. And the tin, you know, the guys will try to find a seam. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I noticed lately with the tin, sometimes under sheetrock, now we're at the third ceiling, is a tin that two hooks next to each other working in succession with each other it's easier to pull the seal, and then one guy in one spot, one guy in the other spot, yeah. working together, just run along the beam, and yes, and progressing forward,
1: it comes down much easier. You know, I want to focus also on the critique. You know, a fire in the middle of the night, two to four, so much can be learned from it. You know, you went back, give me mean, the because you yeah. have the pictures. I've seen the pictures, right. and uh, they were so helpful.
2: I'm going to give you a two-phase critique here. Uh, One thing about this block, too, it was so narrow, we really couldn't position with the cab of the tower ladder away from the building to get more scrub area because it's a narrow street. street. Also... If we ever had to go to a really surround and drowned, if we the fire was heavy in the cockloaf, there wasn't much room with the trees in the front and the parked cars and the mm-hmm. short sidewalk to get the bucket down on the front yeah. of the sidewalk to use as a master stream. I know in the middle of the night, I've been in a tower ladder. I'm concerned about the bucket being down on the sidewalk early in the morning because how long the fire's been burning of uh, parapet collapse. We may be able to do it quickly, give it one shot, and get above it. But at this particular fire, we didn't have the swing with the parked cars. It wasn't going to be an option. It was going to be from over the top of the roof line if we were going to flow water. Yeah, which had four layers of tin. Yes, it was going to be difficult, that's <laughs> it's for sure. It would been a long operation. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Bur- Good thing you got it from the inside. <laughs> Bur- but, but, but we critiqued out front, and uh, you know we went over the things, and then our roof man really let us know why he was having so much difficulties. And when we get back to quarters... We grabbed the roof saw with the tin. We used a 12-tip carbide blade. Right. Chief, the How many were on? <laughs> there was no tips left, but what was so unnormal to me, the blade was rounded off. There was, it, there was not even a tip at the end. Right, we had right. this one other time where we ran into a concrete roof and a wood roof. And they were cutting the concrete with the carbide blade because it was an illegal addition. Right. And when they were working forward, they hit the concrete. Mm-hmm. But it was so rounded off the tips that we took it and we said, Look what that tin did. And we talked about flying projectiles behind the saw. And you could see that they flew off somewhere during the fire. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a hazardous position for sure. Now, the next day, we decided that while it was all fresh in our minds, let's run over and drill there right away. And uh, we talked about the importance of the 24-foot ladder being over the parapet. The smoke was pushing real good at the corner, so he had visibility. We were able to look at the four layers of tin in the tar and the difficulty.
1: You've been around a long time. You ever uh, anything similar happen as previously? I've never
2: had this double jeopardy. That's why I thought, you know, this job Every day, no matter how much time you have on this fire department, like we were just we were discussing before we went on air about a fire last week that we found a door in a bedroom that led out to a fire escape that had a flimsy wood door. And then when you open that door, it's the adjoining wing yeah. that I've never seen in my career before. Yeah, yeah,
1: so, you know, it's the FDNY. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen in this city. Yeah. Mike, again, great information. We really appreciate you coming down today. Everybody, thanks for listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. For more training and information from our department's subject matter experts, go to fdnypro.org.
0: FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when seconds count, the men and the women of the FDNY are there for us, to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them. Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment and education. Go to FDNYfoundation.org and help New York's Bravest save a life today.